Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Merry Christmas. Get the crowbar and the hammer, Ralphie. Come on. Ah, fragile. It must be Italian. Well, I think that says fragile, honey. Oh, yeah. Michael Preston. There are very, very, very few things in this world I can claim to be a hipster on, or that I knew about first before anybody else did. Christmas Story is one of those things. And it quickly became a very favorite movie of my family and of me when I was really young. And it was shown to me for the first time by someone else, by a dear old friend of mine, uh, when we were sitting... In a video rental store, there's something for you kids you've never heard of before, as I, again, with the get-off-my-porch crap. Um, (laughs) We were sitting in a video rental store just a few days days before Christmas, and I think he was spending the night with us, uh, as young kids are wanting to do. And we were looking for a movie suggestion, and he brought up a Christmas story on VHS... To my dad, I think this was back in probably 1997 or 8, and we watched it that night, and it has been a staple ever since. Since over 20 years, I've been watching that movie, uh, and unlike other hipsters who are angry when somebody discovers their favorite thing or whatever else, I was overjoyed when everybody found out about A Christmas Story, and it runs like, what, 24 hours straight on TBS and TNT now from like... Christmas Eve evening until the end of Christmas Day. I mean, it's superb. I don't even have to own the DVD or the VHS anymore. And I think that VHS still lives somewhere in a box uh, with my family. But Christmas Story. Best Christmas movie there is. I won't hear debate about it because I'm right. You're wrong if you think it's anything else. And you should watch it uh, this holiday if you don't. We did that because this is a Holiday Bowl edition. (laughs) See what we did there? Holiday Bowl edition, that was terrible, of the Coog Center Hour. We're going to be joined by Britton Ransford here to talk about signing day, which happened this week, early signing day, the first one WSU has had. Kyle Teal from The Only Colors, MSU's blog, our sister site, going to join us as well to talk about the Michigan State Spartans and the Holiday Bowl. This is really a, a game of contrasting, uh, not, maybe not necessarily contrasting teams, but Michigan State does one thing very, very well. They play defense very, very well. And boy, offensively, do they struggle. So this is going to be a very interesting football game, I think. Uh, before we get to talking and chatting with Kyle, uh, I want to I touch on something that happened this week as well, because who would have thought uh, after the Apple Cup, that week after the Apple Cup, kind of when the coaching carousel was at its most insane and just, you know, somebody get me off this ride because the spoke mechanism in the middle <laughs> broke and we are just flailing around wildly. Uh, who would have ever thought that we would end up with Mike Leach getting an extension? I certainly didn't. And for as sketchy as it looked for a few days in terms of would he be the coach and then as especially uh, worrisome as it got kind of in the Thursday to Friday after Thanksgiving, uh, you're now here with Mike Leach and an extension NRAs. Didn't really see that one coming. I didn't. And I'll be honest, at a certain point, I was fine with Alex Grinch being the head coach. If that was truly what the school wanted to do because it retained a lot of, you you retain all your coaches that way and it keeps some semblance of normalcy for the players on that team. And not only that, but the players who were being recruited for early signing day. I think that was a special wrinkle in this and something you're going to have going forward is there's going to be a real urgency to hire coaches at the end of the year from now on with that early signing period because as a school you don't want to lose these recruits and because you know getting some guy in there really quickly who can then go to those recruits and say look everything's fine here's what we're doing you want that so I understand from the standpoint of Tennessee you know I mean that search was comically bad it was just terrible and I admit that I would be even I would be surprised that Mike Leach even took an interview after the mess 
uh, with Greg Schiano in Knoxville. But at the end of all of that, Mike Leach is still at Washington State University. And although Alex Grinch has been reportedly in Columbus, uh, Ohio recently with Ohio State University, they have a defensive coordinator. They have Greg Schiano. And so whether he would leave Washington State to not take a D.C. job, whether it's that new 10th assistant position uh, that the NCAA is allowing or something else, we don't know. But it is now just a few days before Christmas, and Alex Grinch is still on staff at Washington State. And just the feeling I get, this is a this is a feeling. This is not based on what anybody has told me or any indication I've gotten from anybody at the university, but it kind of feels like he's not going anywhere. If it hasn't happened by this point, even with the early signing period happening this week, I just, I don't, I don't see it. Maybe, maybe it will happen after the new year because he certainly did and was hired as the defensive coordinator at WSU after the new year uh, when he was hired. Uh, but I, I, I guess I, at this point, it seems like everything has relatively settled down, settled down a little bit. I mean, Herm Edwards is still looking for like all of his coaches. Right? <laughs> God, what a disaster that's going to be. Anyway, um, I, I wouldn't pass along. I had some thoughts on Mike Leach's contract and I, I think it's, you know, it's interesting that, you know, everybody say, you know, it's, it's $4 million a year. It's $4 million a year. Well, it isn't quite $4 million a year right up front. It's $3.5 million this year, three and three quarter million the year after. But it's that one-time bonus of $750,000 bucks in 2020 that does essentially make it a $4 million a year contract. And I think part of what that says to me is, Kirk Schultz is very confident that whoever they have as the next athletic director is going to be one hell of a fundraiser. Because a $750,000 one-time payment to Mike Leach, I mean that, you know, that's not very affordable. That's not that's not something I would consider an affordable thing for Washington State University right now. But he had commented last, you know, uh, earlier this week in fact, that WSU had raised an awful lot of money uh, in just one day. Let me see if I can pull up the tweet to see exactly how much it was. I'm very well prepared. But it was that, you know, clearly fundraising is getting going. We had those two massive donations earlier this week, or uh, earlier this month, after Bill Moose stepped away to go co- or to go be the athletic director at, um, at Nebraska. And I think, so here you go, shout out, we raised $100,000 to the Cougar Athletic Fund in the last 24 hours, you said this on December 20th, over 600000 ahead of where we were last year at this time. That's very good. <laughs> but I think, you know, the, that kind of bonus and that kind of money for your football coach at Washington State kind of speaks to you, assume that whoever the next athletic director is going to be is one hell of a fundraiser. And you've also, with your interim athletic director and John Johnson, who has served this school so well for so long, you've locked up, in theory, your football in theory your football coaches here until 2022. I'm less worried about him leaving now after next season than I was before because it kind of seemed like, you know, after this year was kind of a perfect storm. You know, your team's probably not going to be as good next year just because you lose. Uh, so many guys in skill positions, what through their own volition or not, um, in Tavares Martin and Isaiah Johnson Mag, they're both gone uh, by choice. Uh, Jamal Morrow, Gerard Wicks, Luke Falk, Cody O'Connell, and Cole Madison all gone, not by choice. That's not their choice. They're graduating. So I think it's you know I, I was a little more worried about it after this year. Maybe not you know you want to jump ship ahead of that, but now I'm less worried about it after next year and even the year after that. Because he's being compensated kind of how he would like to be. You're, you're up in that $4 million range, and that puts you near the top of the Pac-12. We don't know how much David Shaw and Clay Helton are paid, but it is certainly in terms of coaches at public institutions in this conference, it puts you near the top. And the other thing John Johnson has done is extend all the successful coaches. 
Todd Schulenberger through 2023, Jen Greeny through 2023, and Wayne Phipps, the track coach, through 2023. So whoever the next athletic director is can pretty much just come in, sit down at his desk. Okay, what's there to do? Oh, raise money. That That's it. <laughs> I mean, that's really all there is to do at this point. The non-conference schedules are taken care of through, I think, like 2022 or at least 2021. So you got that taken care of. You got a ton of other teams on the docket for non-conference in football. So you are well taken care of. If you're an athletic director coming into Washington State, you don't have a lot to do. Except for fundraise at a level that we've never seen before. Easy as pie, right? <laughs> it's not easy as pie. It's difficult as hell. I know there's been... Uh, I've seen some ire directed at Kirk Schultz on Twitter. I've seen some... I know I shouldn't say this, take this seriously, but some consternation in Facebook comments on Cook Center's Facebook page and on Twitter as well. Again, shouldn't take that seriously. But I know a lot of Kook fans, uh, including the mother of a former wide receiver, are rather uh, unhappy about how long the search for the athletic director is taking. And I, I said this, I, I wanted to write this down last week because we weren't doing a show and I'm not as eloquent when I'm writing as when I'm talking. Hard to believe. Um, but I want it to be right. I don't want it to be quick. WSU is a unique institution in a lot of ways. We all know that very well. We all know how unique WSU is. It takes a unique person to be able to be successful at WSU. Bill Moose did the things that we needed to get done to bring this athletic department into the 21st century and to allow them to remain competitive in the Pac-12 and a lot of sports. The problem is the Piper is now calling to pay for those things Bill Moose did to make this university successful. So now you need someone who can help pay off your credit card debt, so to speak. And because we've never had a person in Pullman who can fundraise at quite the level we really need them to. This search needs to take time. And I I understand the the how scary it was to have Mike Leach looking at other schools when you don't have a permanent AD. Trust me, it was one of the first thoughts that ran through my head when Bill Moose took that job in Lincoln. Oh God, what if Mike Leach leaves? And I could see why, you know, he wasn't being compensated as much as he wants. And now the guy who hired him, who he really likes, is gone. I could see it happening for that reason. And then if you're trying to hire a football coach without a permanent athletic director, you're going to hire someone who the new guy or gal who's your athletic director may or may not like. That's no good. The plan to install Alex Grinch was fine and dandy because it was relatively cheap for your school. And even if you screwed that up, you can probably correct the mistake in a couple of years. I don't think Alex Grinch would have been a screw up. But again, hypothetically, if you'd screwed it up a few years from now, it wouldn't be that expensive of a mistake to fix. But still, I understand why going through that time period immediately after the end of the season and before the Holiday Bowl... There was so much consternation. I get it. Because that had me nervous and scared as hell too. But you don't just hire an athletic director to A, appease your football coach. And B, you don't rush it to just hire a football coach. And besides, what, even if you do rush it. Even if you do rush in to hire an athletic director. Okay, first thing you need to do. A most important hire you can make uh, in your whole job. And if you get it wrong, we'll fire you in three years. Okay, toodles. Who signs up for that? (laughs) Seriously, who signs up for that? No one. No one signs up for that. There would have been plenty of athletic directors that would have signed up for Alex Grinch installed because we had no permanent AD. And if I want to, I can get rid of him in a few years if he's not being successful. Again, I think he would have been. But anyway... Plenty of athletic directors sign up for that. Because that's not my fault. But no one signs up for, oh, by the way, before you have a chance to get pictures of your family on your desk, you need to hire a football coach. Nobody does. 
But now that you're on the other side of it and Mike Leach is locked down for five years, and again, I don't know what the buyouts are on that contract. We'll need to see if it changed, but I know after year one it was more than $2 million. Now that you have that taken care of, now that you've gotten through that scary portion of the offseason that we were worried about, now you can take your time. And I want it to take time. It's not like, and again, like I said this in the in the post last week, it's not like Kirk Schultz has been on this job for a long time either. This is this is only his second football season at WSU. So it's, he's been here, what, like a year and a half, I think, on the job, year and a half? This is, he's doing it the way he should be doing it. And I want to give him credit for that. He's doing it how he should be doing it. Getting other people in on the decision-making process and taking time with it. Because you need to get this right. It took the Regents nine months to hire him after Dr. Floyd passed away. For it to take three and a half months to hire arguably your second most important administrator, fine. That's fine. And at WSU, like I said, you've got to find the right person. That is key. You can't screw it up. And so for them to want to take their time, I'm fine with that. Totally and completely fine. I think that about covers everything we missed in our month off since before the Apple Cup. Because I don't think anybody wanted to listen to this show after the Apple Cup. And things were changing so rapidly, it would have been a moot point anyway. Or as Joey Tribbiani says, a moo point. Britton Ransford, we're going to talk about signing day coming up next. It was a good one for the Cougs, outside of a little running back issue. But other than that, boy, really good day for Wazoo uh, on early signing day. We'll talk about it next on the Coop Center app. Here on the Coog Center Hour, we now get to do one of uh, Britton Ransford's favorite activities, and that is talk about 17 and 18 year old boys. Uh, he is our recruiting guru at Coog Center. This, I, I mean that in the uh, most plutonic way I can possibly mean it. And he comes to you live from Wenatchee, Washington. Did it snow over there today, or is it still? Are we not there yet uh, for this winter? Yeah, I'll I'll take lame. I'll take I'll take a nice I'll take lame it winter. Too, yeah. If yeah. it was like forty five and no snow, it'd be just perfect. Yeah, no, that 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 sounds about right to me. Uh, so right. this recruiting class, Britain, uh, Mike Leach says best one he's had at WSU. The numbers don't lie. Twenty four seven rivals agree with him. I would say you probably agree with him too that this is the best recruiting class he's had since he came to Pullman uh, in late twenty eleven. Oh, easily, and a lot less drama, too. I mean, it's pretty easy once you start winning consistently, and, uh, you know, it helps to get one of the, you know, arguably the top 12 quarterbacks in the country right away, and then it kind of builds from there, and mm-hmm. you can see the the pieces they got at receiver is pretty exciting. Obviously, the quarterback, um, running back's a little up in the air, but then on defense, they just filled it with, you know, the same type of player that they've been, you know, targeting in the last couple classes, and this one, you know, most of their offer sheets are just filled with Power 5 programs. So you're seeing the level of um, athletes coming up the Pullman just slowly mm-hmm. um, build. And uh, the culmination is, you know, this class, but it's a good one. You talked about it a little bit there, is getting your quarterback uh, really early on and how much that helps. Do you think it, you know, that and plus the winning contributed or did it really just have a lot to do with the fact that Cam and Cooper committed extraordinarily I think he was one of the first if not the second player to commit in this class yeah I mean um I think they did get him a little later than they'd like to get their quarterback but obviously someone that they want to wait on mm-hmm. um 
and him making it to the Elite 11 finals and going through that and, you know, being on ESPN and NFL Network and all those shows and, you know, it, it kind of, you know, it sells the program a lot easier for you saying, hey, look, we got this guy be here, come, you know, build something around it. And mm-hmm. you look at the receivers you got in this class, you know, just a bunch of big, fast, you know, freaks. Um, and then it, it just builds from there. I, I think a lot of it has to do with getting those high-profile guys in there, and then it kind of snowballs from there. I agree with your assessment of the receivers. I mean, they are all big, tall, fast, freaky kind of guys. I mean, only really one under six feet tall. The rest of them all 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", about 200 pounds, fast. Roderick Fisher, an Army All-American and as well. This has got to be what they hoped for in this receiving class because your depth is going to take a hit not only in the Holiday Bowl without Isaiah Johnson-Mack or Tavares Martin Jr., but next year you really are going to need that help. Oh, absolutely. Um, and there's guys in this class that can come in right away. Um, if you look at Roderick Fisher, you know, he's still pretty raw, but the guy's going to be able to go out there and play basically immediately. And then you look at a guy like Drew Jackson, just a, a, he's a four-star kid out of Texas, and you know the level of <clears throat> competition he's playing out there. Um, Brandon Gray is one of my favorite guys in the class, 6'5", and um, he's not a burner per se, but he can jump up there and get the ball with the best of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to, uh, you know, he's like a dimmery that can do everything that a receiver should do, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's an exciting class. Um, bunch of big guys, and it, it, I don't know if they anticipated Tavares Martin and Isaiah leaving, and that played in taking five. Mm-hmm. But um, five is going to be nice, and you feel better about it going in without those guys. That's probably all the receivers they're going to be taking in this class. I mean, I, I know this is an air raid, and obviously you want to focus on receiver as it's arguably your most important offensive position other than quarterback in this offense I can not even arguably it really is but five's probably about the maximum you'd ever expect them to take in a class so that's probably all they're going to see right yeah I don't even know if we'll see five again for a couple of years you know um you're still waiting on Calvin Jackson um I thought he was going to sign today he's a Juco guy but mm-hmm. um, he may he may still have some credit to finish up uh, I reached out to him and never hit me back up so um, but yeah, so it, I think those, they're going to take five regardless of whether Jackson signs or not. Now this, I, I know that this had been, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this before we get to the defense, but this, you know, we kind of wondered whether this was going to be the big signing day or not. As it turned out, it, it really is. There's obviously still the traditional signing day in February and kids can still sign through Friday, about three days before Christmas. But I, I, I don't think we really saw this coming, but that's kind of, what it morphed into for this coaching staff, wasn't it? Because, I mean, they were really putting up the road miles after the Apple Cup. They were out everywhere visiting recruits. Yeah, I think it kind of – the coaches started to get the sense that this was going to be the big one, you know, during the season. Um, I think all of us were kind of in a wait-and-see mode to figure out um, just how it would, you know, transpire. And it plays in a WSU's favor perfectly because, you know, they got – the vast majority of their class and their, you know, the centerpiece of their class locked up now. They can't back out. And, um, you know, we're one of those programs that is kind of a backup. They, they use us as a farm system, per se, mm-hmm. um, the, the big schools. And so getting that all squared away immediately, getting like a Kate Bakersford uh, signed and, you know, sealed and delivered before USD can get them down on campus is, you know, a huge, you know, it's huge. Yeah. Um, especially for WSU, who struggles with that, you know, every February. And so, um, yeah, it, it turned into, obviously, a big day. I think they're all expecting about 80% of uh, classes to be filled, and that's about exactly what happened today. Oh, well, you touched on it a little bit with Cade Beresford and with that later signing day. And I'm, I'm not saying this is specific to him. I have obviously have no idea about his, his parents, his family's mindset. But that this is the kind of situation where this early signing day really benefits WSU in a lot of ways because do you think we'll see a little bit less of that poaching as we go forward with this type of thing in that you know the bigger schools who kind of count on WSU to make offers to these kids and that's how they get interested you're not going to see as much of it because these kids will be gone six weeks earlier than usual 
Yeah, um, I, I think I think next year will be really telling. I think they're still trying to play it out. Um, yeah. Just seeing how the the Mac Borgy thing's playing out right now, and I think mm-hmm. you might see a little bit more of that. You know, the big schools calling and being like, "Hey, hold off on this for a second, and uh, you can still sign with them in February, but maybe you know, hold off and let's see if we can maybe get you in school or something." Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it'll start to see a little bit more of that, but obviously it, it, this this can't hurt WSU at all. The more guys they get in immediately, it's just you know, just for a smaller program like that, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's super important. Two uh, big things: Jonathan Lolohia, defensive tackle; Amir Crowder, a defensive tackle. So you get a JC transfer right away, a guy who can play right now, and a guy who can play down the line. And for Washington State, without Daniel Equale next year, without Robert Barber, who graduated, Thomas Toki signed elsewhere today as well, and Nalutapa no longer on the team. You don't have defensive tackles, so how important was that for Washington State to get a couple of them today? Well, it's important, you know, strictly for, you know, comment sections on the WC blog. <laughs> um, but, yeah, they finally found some, some defensive tackles that thought were you know, worth recruiting, and they landed them, and I think Amir Crowder is going to be um, a great Addition down the road. I don't think he's someone that's going to come in and play immediately. But, right. You know, Lolo Aya, um, they're probably going to need him to play immediately. And uh, he had some good offers. You know, he, where was he committed to? He was committed to Kansas at one point, so I don't know if that counts, but um, was also looking at, um, was it Utah on Vanderbilt or something? Mm-hmm. Um, so a guy that was recruited at the Power Five level and could come in and, uh, fill that two-year gap while you let the young kids kind of bulk up and get used to the system and get into shape. And, um, yeah, it's big just because of the losses you mentioned and uh, mm-hmm. still not knowing exactly what Hercules is going to do. And so um, getting a Juco guy in there that can play immediately is going to help tremendously. If you have to pick one guy you like in this class above all others that's not Cameron Cooper, who would you pick and why? Well, I want to say Mac Borgi, but he didn't sign. Yeah. Um, I think he's going to be a freak wherever he goes. Um, I guess we'll stay on uh, – I like that Kendrick Cadence guy, the mm-hmm. linebacker that signed first thing this morning. Um, he's bigger, middle linebacker type, but they're going to need someone to jump in there and play immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, he shows off some wheels, and he's kind of vicious. Uh, I like him, and then on offense um, – Roderick Fisher is going to be exciting. I, I like all the receivers. Uh, Drew yeah. Jackson's a, a freak, and you know he does remind me a little bit of a, a faster Gabe Marks. Um, he's not the biggest guy; I think he's five ten. He's a guy under six foot, but um, does a lot of exciting things with the, the ball after the catch. And um, Brandon Gray is going to be a cool one, just because he's so big. Um, I like the class as a whole. There's a bunch of dudes that can, you know, come in and play immediately if they need to, but. They, they're finally at a spot where they don't really need them to, so redshirting these guys is just going to be a plus in itself. Uh, do you like your really busy day being right before Christmas hour? Did you prefer it being in February? I, I wasn't even ready for the day to happen. I uh, got up at 5 o'clock this morning and started typing. And, um, I, I think it's nice now I get to just kind of hang out with family and not care about 17-year-old kids. <laughs> it was always the fun part of your job when you were at Wazoo Watch, and it's still the fun part of your job here at Coog Center, although we don't, you know, make your pay tied to it. So there's that. Britton <laughs> yeah. Ransford, our own Britton Ransford. It's always fun to say that. Thanks, pal. Here on the Coop Center Hour, we now have all the signing day stuff out of the way. And one thing that interferes with it this time of year is 
bowl preview. And I don't know if anybody knows this, but Washington State is playing a bowl game. They're playing it against the Michigan State Spartans uh, next week, the Holiday Bowl in San Diego. Joining us now to talk about the Michigan State Spartans, Kyle Teeley from The Only Colors, our sister site, uh, covering the Spartans. And Kyle, uh, quite a reversal this year for Michigan State from 3-9 and nine last season to 9-3 and three this year. And they're in the top 25 going into this bowl game against Washington State. Give me the general feel of how the fan base has felt uh, with quite a six-game turnaround in one year. That's got to feel good no matter how it happened. You know, it really has felt great, but it's been a bit of a roller coaster season because this team, for as much success as they've had and wins and losses, it hasn't always come in the most aesthetically pleasing way. Mm -hmm. uh, there's been a lot of very close games, a lot of uh, ugly success. But wins are wins, especially coming off last year. There's been no complaints. Um, I'd be lying to you, though, if we, as a fan base, were happy with where we are right now uh, compared to where we thought we'd be. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, speaking as a guy whose team does the ugly win thing a lot, yeah. I mean, that's, that is kind of, you know, it, you know, it stinks from that standpoint, but wins over Penn State and Michigan this year at least have to kind of make the fan base feel good, especially with Michigan uh, being the rivalry there and beating Penn State on your own turf as well. Oh, on the whole, I think uh, the fan base is thrilled, and honestly, a lot of it is relief. After last year, there was a lot of fear, especially with some of the offseason uh, craziness. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot of fear that Michigan State might be slipping. They might be falling back into where they were a decade ago. Um, and a lot of that was alleviated with just the bounce back and now everyone at least if nothing else feels like okay we're still michigan state we're still that program that people have to go through mm -hmm. uh if they want to win the conference team does it with defense i mean that is uh, abundantly clear if you look at their s p plus rankings number seven in the country uh in defense this is how this football team wins games what do they do best, though? What is their one thing above all else that this Michigan State Spartans defense does better uh, than anything else? Uh, they're going to stop the run. Uh, mm -hmm. They're going to make you beat them with a pass, which is why they won a few of those really terrible weather games because you just can't throw in some of the snow and rain that uh, they had to play through this year. Mm -hmm. uh, you look at what they did to Saquon Barkley – they're going to make you beat them through the air. Some teams are able to do it. Uh, a lot of them, even if they're successful through the air, there's just not enough balance to get the job done. Mm -hmm. So, I, I, you know, this is, I mean, a, a suffocating run defense sets up well for a team that likes to pass the ball a little bit, but Luke Falk has not been the most decisive guy, not the guy we would like to normally see. Is pass rushing a strength of this Michigan State defense? Because that seems to be kind of the one thing that has rattled Luke Falk an awful lot is if he has to think quickly, the ball is going to go places that Washington State fans don't necessarily want it to go. Uh, the defense is gonna. The defensive line does a good job of uh, getting a lot of pressure. Uh, the linebackers come in heavy a lot, um, as it's been throughout D'Antonio's tenure. Uh, cornerbacks are left on an island. They're mm -hmm. they're bringing just bodies at the quarterback, and if if their cornerbacks get beat one on one, then it's going to be big plays for the opposition. Uh, but I mean, you got three guys I think that have at least three sacks on the year. Um, this is a team that's going to come after the quarterback, and if nothing else, they're going to throw enough bodies to rush the quarterback. Mm -hmm. You have your team MVP uh, named, I think it was just last week, Joe Bocci, linebacker. He's 94 tackles leading the team. Three interceptions, too. Kind of does it all. How close of attention, you mentioned that you know bodies are just kind of going to get thrown at Luke Falk in this game. How close of attention does Washington State need to pay to just that one individual on that defense, despite kind of the, uh, the cascade of people trying to come at Luke Falk? Well, the scary thing about Bocce is that he's not going to be in the same in the same spot all the time. He's not one of those just downhill linebacker who's coming after the quarterback every time. Uh, he's second in the team in interceptions, so mm -hmm. he's dropping back in coverage just as much. But he's got two and a half sacks as well. He's he's a do it all linebacker, uh, which is a, really a game changer for this Michigan State defense when you have a linebacker that can really be so versatile. He causes havoc like no one else on the team can. So 
if for whatever reason he is blocked or he is neutralized, this team's in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the strength against the run and how good uh, they are at kind of putting pressure on the quarterback. Is there a weakness on this team? I think it certainly looked like their passing defense wasn't as good 32nd in S&P Plus, but that's still pretty darn good. Is there a weakness anywhere on this defense beyond just uh, their passing defense, which doesn't sound like a weakness, just maybe not as good a strength? Uh, no, if you're going to beat them, you're going to beat them through the air. Uh, they're susceptible to big plays. Um, every once in a while, if you get a corner or a safety to bite up, you can beat them over the top. Mm-hmm. The linebackers outside of Bocce aren't great in coverage. Uh, so there's there's a lot of ways to beat them if if the quarterback has time. If the quarterback has time to set and mm-hmm. uh, the defense isn't just pinning its ears back, uh, there are ways to beat Michigan State through the air. Mm-hmm. Let's move to the offense uh, now because as good as the defense is, the offense is uh, quite the opposite in terms of ratings. They're near the bottom uh, of S&P Plus in terms of just everything they really do. What's been the biggest struggle offensively for Michigan State this year? Uh, consistency, because anyone who has watched them through the season would be a little surprised with where they rank nationally because they put up big plays, they put up big numbers a lot, but then they have games where they just go to sleep. They'll have mm-hmm. games, and it seems like uh, you know they almost took turns between uh, whether it was going to be a big day passing or a big day running. Uh, there was just no consistency with the offense that really slowed things down. And now uh, those numbers are also a little bit skewed. They worked with uh, short fields a lot, and mm-hmm. they a couple of those uh, crazy weather games, the one against Michigan, uh, the one against uh, Maryland, there just wasn't a whole lot to do. If you, if you had to go more than 40 yards, no one was scoring on those days. <laughs> we understand that in Pullman a little bit. Yeah, no, that yeah. Uh, those are, there, there are some days like that uh, on the Palouse as well. Uh, every, you know, despite the ratings or, and, and as you said, you know, just some, you know, days where you're not going to get anything done offensively because of the weather. Every offense I think has, you know, their own share of good players and at least one guy you kind of need to look out for. Is there a guy on offense like that for Michigan State? I know LJ Scott led the team in rushing this year. Kind of seems to be the guy just in terms of counting stats you might need to keep an eye on, but is there anybody else uh, that Washington State fans should know about? You know, LJ Scott is the most talented guy. He's the most NFL-ready guy, but he's had a down year compared to his previous two years. Mm-hmm. So teams are loading up and they're trying to beat him, and for a lot in a lot of cases, they're doing the trick. Plus, he's had a lot of fumble issues. Um, if Michigan State's going to put up good numbers on offense, a lot of it is going to come through the air. Uh, Brian Lewerke has uh, developed a nice relationship with uh, Gerald Holmes, Madre London through the passing game. Uh uh, Cody White, a freshman, has really kind of emerged as his third down safety valve receiver. Uh, and, and that's been really fun to see. And then uh, Felton Davis has probably been the biggest mm-hmm. big play guy. Uh, Felton Davis is going to be the one, if there's a highlight to be made, he's going to be the one diving in the end zone to make the catch. You mentioned uh, some inconsistency on the part of Michigan State's offense, but obviously there are times uh, this year when everything is clicking for Michigan State. When that is happening, what does this offense look like? What do they do really well when everything is going correctly for them? Uh, they keep defenses off balance. When everything's clicking, you're going to see a lot of uh, different running backs getting touches, running the ball. You're going to see uh, Lewerke running the ball a lot. If he's if he's able to have early success through the air mm-hmm. and linebackers start to drop back, he's got more than enough athletic ability that he's going to take off for 20 yards and not have too much of an issue. Uh, if they're clicking, he's going to be on the move a lot. Mm-hmm. And kind of uh, counter to that a little bit, uh, what is the biggest weakness that Michigan State has on offense that you think WSU could take advantage of? Because I think what WSU does well on defense, obviously their thing is you know all about speed D. They're very fast on defense. They get a lot of sacks. Hercules Mata'afa, who had over, you know, he had almost 20 tackles for a loss this year. Is there one thing that WSU could take advantage of that Michigan State doesn't do well offensively, consistently, as we mentioned, you know, inconsistently or consistently? You know, their their offensive line has been a little up and down, so there's going to be some opportunities to get pressure. But more than anything, it's been turnovers. Uh, mm-hmm. Both Lewerke, LJ Scott have fumbled the ball a lot this year. Uh, Lewerke's also had issues. He's not 
as often, but he's had issues passing the ball into coverage, especially if they find themselves down Mm -hmm. Uh, against Notre Dame. He just kept trying to force the ball. And that's how, that's how this team loses blowouts. If, if you see a couple, uh, both against Ohio state and Notre Dame, they turn the ball over, I think two or three of the first handful of possessions. And they were in just such a hole that there was no way they were coming out. Uh, they're really susceptible to putting the ball on the ground and against an athletic defense. A lot of times that'll happen with just not even seeing a defender coming and a helmet on the ball. Kind of in terms of, give me an idea. Cause you know, I don't think a lot of Washington state fans know a ton about Michigan state. Uh, not, you know, not through any fault of anybody's own, just not a team that, and you know, I'm sure on the, you know, the converse is true too. Not a lot of Michigan oh, state yeah. fans know a ton about Washington state. Is this historically a Holiday Bowl appearance? Is this what you would call kind of satisfactory to the fan base at large? Or is this kind of above or below where we would kind of normally expect this team to be? I think satisfactory is probably the right term. I think Mm -hmm. uh, everyone is, they're more than happy to be back in a bowl game. Uh, I think the way the bowl selection worked out, there's there's some hard feelings that uh, Michigan ended up playing in the Outback Bowl over Michigan State mm-hmm. after, despite Michigan State beat them and has the better record and all that good stuff. Um, but no, I, if you were to tell every Michigan State fan 365 days ago that they'd be playing against a Pac-12 opponent in the Holiday Bowl, they'd be thrilled. So mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of give and take. Uh, but no, this is this is honestly where Michigan State fans believe they should be every year they believe they should be in a bowl game they should against a quality opponent uh this is the new michigan state this is there's higher expectations mm-hmm. and uh if they're not playing in a bowl game if they're not building on this year by next year then it's going to be another letdown how good did it feel to beat uh mr khakis and glasses over in ann arbor this year oh there's you can't even really put it in words. <laughs> or was the game was the game in East, East Lansing? Like, where was it? Is in East Lansing or because Ann Arbor was, was the was, was the punt? Arbor. Oh, okay. I can't I can't remember what year the punt block uh, for a touchdown or the punt fumble for a touchdown was. But yeah, I I, I know yeah, it had it was, had to feel good, especially in, in Ann Arbor. Yeah, that was the the punt block was two years ago. Okay, that's uh, right. Also in Ann Arbor, uh, and there's something just especially nice about beating them in Ann Arbor, watching their fans just <laughs> melt. Uh, the thing with Harbaugh is he's just so he's always grabbing attention. He's always yeah. doing whatever crazy stunts he can to get attention. So when it doesn't work, it just feels that much sweeter because this was supposed to be the year that not only was Michigan going to contend for a title, but Michigan State was going to fall off and we were going to be right back to little brother. And it was going to be all of the old storylines that have been buried over the last decade. So to get this win, whether it was weather or anything else, Michigan State outplayed Michigan in that game, mm-hmm. and they deserved the win. And, it, I mean, they're going to be riding high off just that win for another year. You know, I, I asked the question because uh, I, I wanted to get a little sample of what it was like, a little dopamine shot to uh, to <laughs> beat your rival in an important game in their stadium. I don't think we really know anything about that lately. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, give me uh, a prediction for this game. Uh, you know, again, kind of tough. You know, we don't know a ton about one another. I don't think there's really any, any animosity <laughs> towards, especially because the situations are the same. We have another school. Uh, a lot of us are, you know, a school in-state we dislike. Uh, and to me, uh, very similar in terms of the fan bases in that way. But give me a prediction uh, for the Holiday Bowl here on December 27th on FS1 in San Diego. I, you know, there's been some success, uh, moderate success for Michigan State against uh, Mike League coach teams. So uh, they played each other in a bowl game uh, in, oh, what was that, uh, 2010 i believe Mm -hmm. so uh, there's some familiarity at least as far as schemes there uh texas tech ended up winning that game but it came down to the final play Uh, i think michigan state has the talent uh to win this game and to win it by you know nine points or so i don't think they're going to i think it's going to come down to the final drive i'm going to say michigan state 31 washington state 27 Kyle Teal, the only colors predicting the end of the Holiday Bowl pain. 
for Washington State. And I'm fine. That's probably what it was last year anyway against Minnesota. I'd rather it be Michigan State anyway. Thank you, sir, for joining us. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me on. Thunderhead of the week time. We've had like a month since the last show to choose button, but I'm still going with something uh, more recent. Uh, my wife and I are hosting her cousin. She's staying with us for a few months while she is back at home from Europe uh, getting some work in so she can have some money to go back to Europe and uh, just generally be a young person and gallivant, which is I'm very jealous of. However, she's back working uh, in the restaurant industry uh, at a restaurant downtown. I won't mention the name of it. Um, but, you know, she works some late nights. She doesn't get off work until about 2 in the morning, and that stinks, you know. But And you don't exactly feel safe downtown Seattle taking the bus that late. I know certainly for a young woman who's only about 5'6", and, you know, doesn't have the skills of jujitsu. I certainly wouldn't feel safe either. So she frequently takes Uber home uh, from downtown Seattle to our play at the West Seattle Studios of the Cook Center Hour here. Um, but the other night uh, when she came home, uh, her Uber driver had decided that a really good idea while driving through a residential neighborhood would be to blast absolutely blast thrash metal I don't know the band I don't know what they were singing because I couldn't understand the words as you frequently can't with like you know thrash and hard rock music it's just a lot of guttural screaming um but because she was in what was it it's an uber pool so you're sharing that with multiple people it took him a couple of minutes I guess for some reason to get out of the Uber and then to walk across the street to my house, at which point at uh, 2.45 in the morning when she came home, and that is usually about the time I try to go to sleep, I had just fallen asleep, and the guy's music had woken me up, my wife up, the producers, my producers, my cats were awake, I'm sure the neighbors were awake, uh, I think the people living a mile away were awake, by this dude's thrash metal. So, Uber, just a heads up. Some of your drivers like playing extraordinarily loud music at extraordinarily inconvenient times. Like, say, 2.45 in the morning. So, you know, maybe don't have them do that. It's a little on the annoying side, especially for a person who has trouble getting too back to sleep once they've been awoken from their slumber. And say, can't get back to bed until 4.30 in the morning. The real pain of the ass. You know what I mean? Ask Michael anything. Mr. Tommy G-Man, Tom Gilanella, why would you like to see the XFL come back? It's wrestling on a football field. And I know I, I abhor the violence with which, you know, football is played. And I think it's an overly violent sport. But for some reason, it just, it, that appeals to me. And just the gratuitous hitting and trying to murder your opponent. But also, it just, wrestling's fun. And it's fun on... Uh, it's fun on a football field, too. It's even funner there. And I am Eric Russell. Eric, what's the QB depth chart going to look like next year? I mean, uh, Tyler Holinsky is going to be the starter. That would be my assumption uh, until further notice. I think Cameron Cooper has a chance to be the backup. If he's as good as Mike Leach says he is, 
Uh, he has a chance to be the backup quarterback next year as a true freshman. Obviously, they'd like to redshirt him, and I don't think they're going to, if he does get hurt, put him on the field. Connor Neville would probably be capable of handling it. I think uh, Bledsoe's son, I can't remember his first name right now, also I think they like him uh, as well. So I think after Halinski, I, I, certainly something to watch in spring practice for sure. I know um, that'll be interesting to see as well as fall practice. That'll be kind of one of the storylines of spring practices. Who steps up to be Halinski's backup uh, this coming season? It'll be interesting to find out. Uh, at random villain Ryan ham prime rib or turkey for holiday meat oh prime rib I can go with prime rib I think that yeah no 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 I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with that choice I'm very comfortable with that choice at WSU Cougar 08 Rick giggling Marlin Cabo San Lucas Bowl sounds nice but do you know of any good Mexican places in Enumclaw uh, no, Rick. I know a good one in Buckley. It's Mariachi Alegre Mexican. Uh, it's right on 410, just east of the Muddy Lost Road cutoff, uh, next to some crappy Econo Lodge in Buckley. I think it's an Econo Lodge. Yeah, it is an Econo Lodge. Uh, the giggling Marlon Cabo St. Lucas Bullet goes back to a piece we had earlier this week on if you could choose a bowl anywhere in the world, where would it be? I chose Cabo St. Lucas. I'm, I am a sucker for Cabo St. Lucas at all times. Holiday Bowl next week. Everybody have a safe, fun, very happy Christmas and a great uh, new year. We will not talk to you until next fall. Or excuse me, we'll talk to you in the spring actually. We'll do another signing day uh, wrap up and a spring football preview, spring football game preview as well. But after that, it'll be until the fall. So you have to wait another couple of months for a show. I know. Sorry about that. But enjoy your Christmas. I hope you had a happy Hanukkah if you celebrate that. And everybody have a very good New Year.